All right. Stan. No. <laughs> I had opened my mouth, taken in a breath. <laughs> and then Stan, no. <laughs> off my groove. Sorry. I'm going to have an old man voiced by Piglet thrown out the window because you and your cat threw off my groove. Hey there, Internet. I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this is the Gem Jam, where we do an episode-by-episode recap of the 1980s cartoon Gem and the Holograms, because it is truly outrageous, and really, it has no idea how movies work, and that's what we're going to be going over today again, because today we are doing Starbright Part 3, Rising Star. Uh, Bonnie's going blind. Um, er uh, Jerrica slash Jim needs the money to fix her up. And to do this, she has to prostrate herself before the misfits and join in on a movie that was originally hers to make in the first place and is now being owned by Eric Raymond slash Pizzazz slash Pizzazz's dad slash who knows. And the movie is about... Uh? Nobody really knows. There's like 22 casino scenes. There's a bit where she runs across a rotten log over a chasm. There's a bit where they're all trapped in the Temple of Doom. There's pirates. There's a point where they jump through various like cowboy scenes and space scenes and don't seem to find these out of place in the film. There's a there's there's songs about jealousy and universal appeal. Uh, there's a motorcycle Mad Max style thing. And uh, meanwhile, Kimber just got exploded, except for she's inexplicably fine. There's, a, there's, yeah, I mean, like any good episode, we start off with explosions. This is something that I, I don't recall if this has happened a lot before, but uh, going forward, this is one of my favorite things, is the dangerous bass beat, which is always the song that happens when there's something dangerous happening, and we're starting out with the do-do, do-do, My favorite part of the show is when Annie sings. <laughs> Jeff is coming to the rescue, and, well, Jeff is kind of a dick. Yeah. Frankly. Jeff has been friend-zoned by Kimber. And he has been the most passive-aggressive snit about it. But he rolls in on a motorcycle and grabs her and rescues her, and then has to put the motorcycle down, and it spins away and explodes for no reason and vaporizes completely. And he picks her up and carries her throughout, like... <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm thinking to myself, like, you guys, how many charges did they set? Because these are... These are all preset charges for this for this action sequence. And they're all on the same trigger. Yeah, exactly. They're all just sort of going willy-nilly. I mean, how many explosives did they plant in this hellscape? Like, even George Miller's looking at this and going, whoa, that's too much. But, you know, they make it back. Okay, Jeff has rescued Kimber, and Jerrica is going to get to the bottom of this by oh. turning into Jem Jim. And, um, to, to demand is- what happened to Jerrica's sister. She immediately accuses, like, Roxy of it. Yeah, of, what was accuses that? Roxy of trying to kill Kimber, and it's like, uh, is, is Jim psychic? It's like, Roxy did that, but you have no you have no reason to. You don't know anything about Roxy aside from has white hair and is a jerk. Like, I'd understand if she accused Pizzazz, because I'll right. say Pizzazz would totally do it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is about as much screen time as Roxy gets, like, by herself, uh, Pretty much until the episode in season two about her being illiterate. I guess it's more powerful that something happened to Jim's friend rather than Jerrica's sister. And the holograms quit again. And uh, Rio assaults Eric. Yeah. 
And no one presses charges again. No, the crew even exchanges glances like, oh god, here we go again. Yeah. And then everyone's like, yeah, Rio, you go. We also quit. What's really great here is that Aja, like, shoves Nick Man's helmet back into his hands and says, here, you can shove your fat head in that. It's like, yes, Aja. <laughs> oh my god, Aja. <laughs> I love you. Like, everybody quits except for the one makeup lady. So, uh, in this aftermath, Pizzazz suggests to Eric that uh, they um, they make a new movie. Eric's like, let's that start will- over. New script, new costumes, <laughs> new sets. <laughs> Eric's like, that will cost a lot of money, and Pizzazz threatens to have him fired, which further goes to the point of who the hell is running this. Meanwhile, in the hospital, or maybe the the craft services tent or the first aid. I don't know. Kimber's recovering and she says, Jeff, I've been so mean to you. Has she? She really hasn't. She's just been kind of ignoring him, which she had every right to. She doesn't know this guy from Adam, but apparently he knows her because he's like, Kimber, I'd ride through fire for you. (laughs) He's surprisingly ride or die after like a couple of days of knowing her. I mean, let's be generous here. They've been filming maybe about a month at this point, I would guess, by the breakneck speed at which this movie has been progressing. They've exchanged maybe a couple of sentences. (laughs) And he would ride through fire for her, which is like, and even the delivery of this is like, thanks, blonde Rio. We go back to the mansion where Jerrica is reading Bonnie, Alice in Wonderland, and you guys, Bonnie is so bored. They should also show her this, like, shot from, like, what Bonnie is seeing, and it looks like they just basically smeared Vaseline all over the animation cell. <laughs> I think they did. I think they did. This is the best part. It's like, in no piece of animation have they ever actually shown what it looks like to need glasses and not have them on. Yeah. It's like, I think, I, I've talked to people before where I get the impression that they think that if I take off my, my glasses, I actually go blind. Everything goes black. I think coat racks or people. And then I just pat the floor saying, my glasses, my glasses, I can't see without my glasses. Meanwhile, downstairs, everybody that has been fired or quit the movie is all together and they've decided they're going to go indie. Yeah, they're all, they're all offering to work for free for Jim and the Holograms, which, okay, I know that Jim and the Holograms supposedly give all their money to charity, but they are an international rock band who are famous. Let's not forget this room also contains Howard Sands, who has disposable mansions, and the Countess de Wusson. There are people in this room who have money, who can offer, like, like not, not even if people offer, like, a discounted rate, they could still pay them. Also, I'm pretty sure all these people working for free is definitely against union regulations. I also want to bring up uh, two lines, three lines in this conversation, you guys, which is where they're like, oh, yeah, we don't have to do this. Uh, We don't have to spend a whole lot on it. Shayna chimes in with like our first rock video. And Anthony, her boyfriend, is like, right. We shot that on a shoestring budget. You flew to Paris. You went to Paris. (laughs) What are you talking about? So maybe this entire room just has a very skewed definition of shoestring budget. And then the other line I wanted to point out is Rio chimes in with, you know, I'll work for free, which is like Rio. No one asked you, Rio. Stop contributing, Rio. Go home. This is Rio. He thinks he is eligible to drive race cars. He is a conflated (laughs) sense of self-worth. He's a turd blossom. (laughs) <laughs> yes, and so is our song. And so we slip into our first music video of this episode. It is a hologram song called Putting It All Together. In which Jem repeatedly ska walks in place. See, I have it I have it written down in my notes as 
this is the one with the moonwalk slash Charleston. Frick it all. <laughs> I hate, I hate that. I hate the animation in this video, you guys. I hate it. I hate it a lot. There's all these faces that just sort of keep popping in and out. And then there's Jem doing that stupid dance in her little suit tux outfit. And then all of the holograms pop out from behind her. They, they weren't there before, but there they are now. I hate this video. It's a really bad video. And then they have the audacity to repeat it. For me, that was the end of my page, one of my notes. The top of page two, I just have in all caps, aw, heck nah, it's Clash. What happens here is that they decide they need a double agent. So one makeup lady, whose name I later discover is Georgia, she does Clash up by, like, dyeing her hair, uh, either putting regular makeup over her makeup or just, like, taking off her makeup. It's funny because we show this one montage of Georgia doing all the hard work here, and then for the rest of the series, whenever Class shows up, she is known as, like, a master of disguise. She's got, like, rubber masks and everything. She impersonates Jem at one point so successfully that everybody thinks she's her. Also, I, I want to point out that Clash calls herself Clash the Movie Wrecker, which is actually a pretty awesome title. I mean, that sounds like the kind of title you're awarded. Like, Beowulf Slayer of Grendel. It has the same rhythm to it. Speaking of titles, though, it's about now that we learn the full titles of our movies, which are The Misfits, Hit It Big, and Starbright. Yeah, as Lindsay is doing a, is doing a sort of an interview of this, she's, uh, she's going over the sort of story so far, and then she's actually going to Starlight Mansion or whatever it is they're recording to actually go over the movie. And Howard Sands talking about how they have a modest budget, and again, how is it that he's completely powerless here? If he's so low on the production company's totem pole that, that this can happen to him, how does he have disposable mansions that he can just give away? He spends most of his time in smoking jackets. I have no idea how powerful Howard Sands is supposed to be. He is, he is as rich as the plot requires him to be. We have Anthony here who is like, well, it's not Jem's autobiography, but it is a very honest human interest story. And we go from that to immediately talking to Rio, who gives us the scoop. I play Johnny Stone. I started out as a selfish rocker, but Jim shows me how to share. <laughs> what? <laughs> share. Share. Share what? Share himself with multiple women? <laughs> Nothing he says makes any sense. The individual words make sense, but when you put them together in a sentence, it just comes out as this weird, arcane collection of sounds. I mean, my notes just get longer whenever Rio is in an episode, because I have to pause and then scratch down verbatim everything that he says, because <laughs> it is all gold. <laughs> I would go so far as to say that everything Rio says is glitter and gold. Meanwhile, the Misfits movie has a live, possibly untamed tiger, judging by how it's yanking on the leash. I want to point out that we start our scene transition with Eric Raymond saying, Orangutans? Who ordered the orangutans? <laughs> I love you, Eric. Also, I love that this is a world where you can just order orangutans like a pizza. Is there like a takeout window? You put money in and orangutans come out? And then we get a Misfits video. where it pro of nothing. Apropos of nothing, wherein Pizzazz becomes a predatory monster. It's, it's a misfit song called Welcome to the Jungle. Not featuring Axl Rose. There's no fun or games. 
My favorite part of this video is not Pizzazz jumping around like some odd feral creature. It is actually the other two misfits, like, in the sky, vaguely spectral, like it's the ghost of Mufasa, only it's the misfits. Yeah, yeah, there's like a double exposure <laughs> of them playing drums. In the sky! You have forgotten who you are, and therefore you have forgotten me. Now go make some glam rock. And then she has a guitar in her hand from nowhere, and then she breaks it. The budget alone for her guitars, they must just be incredible. Anyway, she anime jumps into Nick Man's arms, and he, like, collapses backwards and drops them both in a fountain, and Pizzazz gets another screech. Her screeches are the best. They are, They give me life. The crew also thinks it's hilarious, because the camera pans over to the crew, and this is when we find out the new crew they've hired is six copies of the same bearded guy. I, I had actually forgotten Nick Man's name throughout the entirety of my notes, which I don't know how, but I just refer to him as Gaston in these. <laughs> But Gaston quits, basically, because he he did a pratfall into a fountain. And Eric's like, you can't quit. You have a contract. And Nick Man's like, my contract was to star alongside Jim. We flip back to the Jim movie where we discover that Johnny Stone is wearing two belts. We also have uh, Jeff teaching Rio how to physically assault somebody without hurting them. Yeah, he's teaching Rio stage fighting, which how has he not learned that before now? I don't know. I guess he's just been real fighting this whole time. Nobody thought to tell him the difference. <laughs> and while this is going on, Clash has shown up, and her master plan to ruin this movie is to just steal random stuff. Yeah, she makes off with, like, half the set. No one notices this. She just, like, goes in, picks up some rope, carries it to her car, goes in, takes a couple of outfits, carries it to her car. Repeat ad nauseum. I mean, it's just, like, Clash... This was your plan? <laughs> You're just going to take the set. Are you Carmen San Diego? How do you get away with stealing such large amounts of things? Back at the Misfits movie, uh, Georgia, Georgia finally, finally quits. quits. And, uh, and she does this with the line, Not with my things, you conceited little snit. <laughs> Georgia, I love you. And while this also happens, we also have the misfits going through a whole bunch of the other stuff that's going on, like sets they hate, scripts they don't like, uh, zebra dresses, which are described by Stormers having yucky fabric. That's a technical term, yucky fabric. Let's let's face it, we're basically intercutting here between the two movie sets, because now Georgia has come over and apologized to everybody on the hologram set, saying, I listened to the misfits instead of thinking for myself. We don't get to dwell on that too long, though, because it turns out Clash stole the entire wardrobe. <laughs> Clash stole all of the clothes for this and entire movie. Every single outfit. And it's like, Clash, holy frick. But of course, since George is there, she identifies Clash. And uh, and this is something that actually uh, John pointed out to me while we were watching this episode. Is He sits there and he says, hold on. Did Georgia just come over on the same day? Is this the exact same day that she made up Clash? <laughs> How long has Clash been here? Hours? Days? Has she just been sneaking in and out to her car this whole time? It's Jim. The progression of linear time has no meaning. And so this starts like this whole chase scene that actually has some pretty cool stuff in it. That The big thing here is that she has grabbed the tape of Jem's accident that was from the last episode that's going to be sent to the unions. And uh, so they have to go after and get that tape, by which Jem shouts, Get the roadster! Not, get the car. <laughs> Buy our toys. 
get the Roadster, which is our sweet car that has Gem on the hood. It can be yours if you if your parents love you enough. So like Rio and the others like give backup chase in this giant green pickup truck. They almost hit a semi truck because it's a car chase. And uh, Jim uses synergy to try and cause a car accident. And Clash doesn't question the fact that a tree appears and disappears right in front of her and doesn't think anything's weird about this. Yeah, Synergy makes a tree in, in the thing. And I don't know about you guys, but I thought this was actually like out of nowhere. There's this sequence of really good cuts for the sequence of Clash putting on her brakes and sliding through this hologram tree and, and stopping the car. I mean, I thought it actually like flowed really well, surprisingly well, considering you don't see this kind of stuff in the rest of the show. Yeah, it like splits into these three comic style panels, which I've never seen in the show before. It's it's almost like, you know, Angley's Hulk style editing. And it works really well. It's a good flow of action. It shows a it shows a couple of different camera angles well. It switches to like a long panel on the bottom when the car skids through. It's like it's good. And we never see it again, and then it's just gone. <laughs> Meanwhile, in the cool movie, a.k.a. the Misfits movie, this is the crowd scene, right? This is the band scene. Pizzazz stops the scene in the best way that I think anyone ever could, which is shouting, cut, shut up, stop! <laughs> and then she Hendrixes another guitar. It's like, where is she getting these things? Are they even giving her real guitars anymore? <laughs> I mean, she obviously doesn't know how to play one. She thinks you're supposed to strum the neck. And, like, Clash shows up, and who, we may note, has taken the time to change back to her, to her outfit, re-dye her hair, and reapply her makeup to come tell them that the uh, that she wasn't able to get the tape of the Gems accident. And then we have another pizzazz screech. This one even more magnificent than the first. It's true, they just keep building. Then back at the Gem movie, which we, which we find out is still putting orbit orphans to work. This is the only scene that we're going to get from the gem movie. And you guys, I love this scene. Johnny Storm or Johnny Stone or Johnny Johnny. Johnny <laughs> Jahani brings a single rose to, to Gem, who is playing a piano in like a greenhouse. Like you do. Johnny assumes that all of these roses <laughs> are from other suitors. So he's essentially jealous of a garden. And then there's this extreme close-up on Jem's lips, which is, don't go. Again, my husband was watching this with me, and I had to directly quote him here. Ah, good. Rio is in his comfort zone, playing himself a jealous dick. <laughs> the shot is interrupted because Gaston is back, and he's here to save our movie from amateurs. Which, <laughs> guys, I forget, is this an actual pronunciation of amateur uh, I I think amateur is an actual pronunciation. Well, I mean, I'm pretty sure he says, like, amateurs. I don't think amateurs is an actual pronunciation, no. A quick aside here, guys, I have a question. Yeah? So, this is a movie that is about a man named Johnny who seems to believe that his, uh, that his girlfriend is cheating on him. <laughs> that he learns to share. He has, he has long hair. An ill-fitting outfit, and he seems prone to bursts of emotion. And also, he has brought you uh, roses. Are they just making the room? <laughs> <laughs> well, Rio does talk like no living human in much the same way. <laughs> I think you've cracked this, Annie. You've cracked the origin of the room. 
Jem tries to do a whoa, tricksy, fake-out, jokey joke with with Nick Mann and be like, no way, we can find a part for him. And Rio immediately decides that she is absolutely serious. And it's like, well, if that's the way you feel about it, Jem, all right. <laughs> and then it turns out she was making a joke. And then he's like, Jem, you're the greatest. What must it be like to be Rio? Just a roller coaster of emotion. And then meanwhile, at the cool movie, Oh, frick, you guys, the union is here. They show up and they, like, introduce themselves down the line, saying, we represent... The Producers Guild, the Stuntman's Union, the Director's Guild, and the Photographer's Local. It's like it's like the Power Rangers announcing themselves. <laughs> Not only that, but the guy for the Director's Guild has the most magnificent mustache I've ever seen. It's like, it's like this really long mustache that hooks up to his mutton chops. I love it. And then like, and then there's the, I think it's the stuntman's union guy that just has this beautiful like handlebar mustache where like his mouth sort of disappears into his mustache. So the union shuts down the Misfits movie and then, uh. His ass doesn't care though. No, and Eric just kind of shrugs his shoulders and kind of gives up because he didn't really care in the first place. Yeah, because it's like, we have enough film. I'm sure it's, I'm sure it'll be fine, which we'll see how well that works out. But in the meantime, we have. One of the songs that I actually hate the most in this whole oh, show. This this song is basically just Jim slash Derica singing about how awesome she is for sharing money. It and- is it is called People Who Care. Here's the thing, you guys. This song, I have a theory about this. Yeah. I think this is one of those songs where either Jem wrote the lyrics or Kimber wrote some placeholder lyrics for the melody and they said that's fine. <laughs> These are some of the lamest rhymes that you're going to hear outside of a Vanilla Ice concert. Caring people are people with dreams who go to extremes to fight for those dreams. She just rhymed dreams with dreams. Does mouse rhyme with mouse? No, it's the same word. Caring people are people who try, who aim for the sky and never say die. (laughs) <laughs> and then there, there's our first there's our first sit which is people who care are people who share people who give so other people can live i hate the lyrics in this song they are lazy all this sounds like it should be playing over a world vision commercial from the 80s and the worst part is we hear this song like a lot because it's another one of those generic ones like music is magic and and i believe in happy endings they're just they're just everywhere. Every time we need an epilogue song in like season two and beyond, they're just like <laughs> people who care. But but I would say this version is at least interesting because right afterwards we have Anthony Julian that says that's a wrap. The 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 movie's over. And you guys, they go to this little crowd scene, and I think Ashley's supposed to be hugging another another twi- Starlight girl, but they are they're kissing. <laughs> One of our listeners has pointed this out to us as well, and I'm, and I'm glad that it wasn't just just me, cause cause that's a that's a kiss, you guys. Like Ashley's got her hands thrown around her her neck, and then the other girl has her hands around Ashley's waist, and it's like this is a kissing pose. We switch back to the Misfits set where we're sort of we're wrapping this up. I think it's a rap party, and um and Walter Cronkite is mad. Walter Cronkite storms in and puts uh, Howard Sands back in control of his own production company. Yeah, because, like, okay, first off, and this is what we're going to be calling him for the rest of the show, because I had this in my notes because John pointed this out to me. 
His name is Daddy Gabor Bucks. And he is mad because it has cost him his, because this movie has cost him his favorite word twice. It's cost <laughs> millions and millions. And, it, and he also drops out this great quote, which is, Indulging you is one thing, but losing this much money is inexcusable. You guys, I love Daddy Gabor Bucks. <laughs> and I also love the fact that when Howard Sands gets put back in charge, he does this little celebratory fist pump. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Howard Sands is now in charge again. And then we, uh, I think we cut to Jerrica signing away the orphanage, basically. So, yeah, yeah, because it's time for Bonnie's operation. Yeah, and so Jerrica can't afford it until after the movie gets released, and so she basically signs away the orphanage, meaning if the movie fails, all the orphans are not only orphans, but also homeless orphans. Well, I mean, she's also signing away, like, her music studio as well. Yeah. And you guys, what do you think the post-production time is on this movie? Like, how soon are they expecting to see a profit? Considering this is gem and time has no meaning, I genuinely do not know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, we basically skip right to the movie premiere. So they've actually premiered in theaters across the street from each other. First off, we have another great crowd shot here, which is like, I love the crowd shots in this show. I love them. (laughs) I love them. They go full-blown anime. And these animes, they want autographs. And, like, the misfits are all, like, (laughs) except Stormer, who's like, yeah, maybe later. (laughs) Stormer, you actually believe that, don't you? Poor Stormer. Although I will point out that the crowd momentarily pops out of existence as the Misfits are walking into the theater. So it turns out that the Misfits movie totally blows. And Starbright is amazing. It's so good that people are leaving the theater and getting back into line immediately. People see this at the Misfits movie, and they start running over to the Hologram movie, which somehow means that they made, that they won. And so uh, then... uh... Jim gets a check, uh, coincidentally, the exact same amount as Bonnie's eye surgery. To quote, and, to quote a, uh, to quote some comedians, it is a childly, childishly simplistic number. It's their first share of the movie's profits, which already made two hundred fifty thousand eighties bucks. Exactly two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That is Jerrica's profits from the movie. Exactly two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I mean, what's going on here? And, I, and I'm going to keep asking that question, because what they decide to do is they take Bonnie to a very special showing of this movie, and they just play people who care again. And that's, uh, that's actually where, where our episode ends. I guess they made, they made the, the amount of money they needed for Bonnie's operation. Nothing or nobody took the movie away from them. Everybody is happy. And you guys, it's time for our final, our final segment of what was that movie about? We have a two for now. Keep in mind that with the scenes that we saw this episode, it's very possible that this entire movie has been scrapped and rewritten. (laughs) So going off of our limited amount of information, what were these movies about, guys? Um, Well, I think we've nailed down that Starbright is actually the room. And as for the Misfits movie, whatever the Misfits movie was, it was apparently hot garbage, so... All right, Mac, what, what did you think this, these movies were about? I, I have to agree with The Room for Starbright. Uh, I have no idea for the Misfits movie. It's some sort of Pirates of Penzance mixed with, like, Casino Royale mixed with something terrible. Birdemic. Why not? For the, uh, for the Misfits movie, I'm going to go with uh, Surrealist Hellscape, an exploration of man's inhumanity to man. 
So that was our three-parter of uh, of Starbright, the movie. We'll never know exactly what that movie was about, but I think we're ready to put that to bed. Join us next time when we'll actually be skipping ahead a little and going to Season 2, Episode 5, The Bands Break Up, a.k.a. the Kimber Stormer episode, because we thought it was important enough to skip ahead, take a look, uh, have Kit acquainted with the episode that basically fueled this entire thing in the comics, and then we'll be right back to uh, regular continuity with the world hunger shindig, which should be a riot. (laughs) Until next time, I'm Annie. I'm Kit. And I'm Mac. And this has been the Gem Jam, where we're better late than outrageous.